Cameron Harold again started off with his own company, sold his own virtual currency uh, company back in 2000. Now consults uh, some of the you know one of the big four wireless carriers. He just talked about Sprint and how they work together. Charges on average 80 grand per year. That's the starting price to do this kind of consulting related to kind of PL balance sheet high level stuff. Also, sometimes we'll take equity uh, in his companies. It uses obviously his companies to generate this well at high profitability margins. Then uses things like uh, the August rule and reinvest it in real estate and other outlets to continue driving additional capital and wealth. This is The Top, where I interview entrepreneurs who are number one or number two in their industry in terms of revenue or customer base. You'll learn how much revenue they're making, what their marketing funnel looks like, and how many customers they have. I'm now at $20,000 per talk. Five and six million. He is hell-bent on global domination. We just broke our 100,000 unit sold mark. And I'm your host, Nathan Latka. This is episode 765. Coming up tomorrow morning, we learn from Aninja Dada. Her, uh, their company really used evangelical Christian mobile data to influence U.S. elections. Well, how did they do it? You don't want to miss this one. Whether you like Trump or love Hillary, you got to listen. Good morning, everybody. My guest this morning is Cameron Harold. You may have heard him or he is known as, uh, really around the world, as the business growth guru. He's the mastermind behind hundreds of companies' exponential growth, which we'll get into. He's built a dynamic consultancy whose cur current clients include a big four wireless carrier and a monarchy. His clients, when he asks them, hey, what do you like about Cameron? They say, well, he's not a theory guy. They like Cam that Cameron only really speaks from experience. He's earned his reputation as the business growth guru by guiding his clients to double their profit and double their revenue in just three years or less. Cameron, are you ready to take us to the top? Hey, Nathan. Thanks for having me. All right. So what, first off, uh, give us give us like the beachhead that got you into this. I mean, did you start your own company and sold it, then got into consulting, or you were at McKinsey and left? What was your start? Yeah, I was, I was really groomed as an entrepreneur. In fact, I did a TED Talk eight years ago that's on the main TED.com website about raising kids as entrepreneurs. And that was really where my journey started. I got involved with a group called College Pro Painters, which is the world's largest residential house painting company. Um, after then building another couple companies after that, one was Gerber Auto Collision in the US. I then became the COO, Chief Operating Officer for a small company called the 1-800-GOT-JUNK. Mm -hmm. And I took them from 14 employees to 3,100 employees in six years. Um, and then left there 10 years ago and started coaching high-level CEOs all over the world. Got it. So what, sorry, remind, tell me again, what was your role at 1-800-JUNK? I was the chief operating officer. Got it. And and what, yeah, I was about to say, we had, um, I'm trying to remember his name. I think it was Brian Scudamore. Brian, yep. Brian yeah. was my best friend. We were in a forum with the entrepreneurs organization together. He ran IT and finance. I ran sales, marketing, the call center, automation, our franchising, PR. Um, I ran everything except IT and finance. That's funny, guys. If you want to hear more about that story, go back and listen to episode 409 with Brian. They did $250 million in revenue in 2015. Okay, so you leave you leave uh, 1800 got junk and you start doing uh, more consulting. It sounds like why did you decide to go that route versus launching kind of your own thing starting from fresh? It was really time for me just to kind of go on and go on with my life. I've got four kids. I'm happily married. I want to kind of build a life. Is that them behind you all those pictures? Uh, some of them are them, them, some of them was our family, yeah. I love that. So, so I really, really just wanted to reconnect with who I was and didn't want to be operational. And I'd also built three companies. You know, I sold a private currency company in January of 2000, kind of a precursor to Bitcoin. That was 17 years ago. So I don't need to build another company to feel good. I really love coaching entrepreneurs. I've done paid speaking events in 26 countries on five continents. I just like doing what I do. Mm -hmm. What? Tell me more real quick, because uh, I actually a lot of the interviews I'm doing this week and next week are around crypto. Um, what 
did you see in the industry back then? Like, why didn't Bitcoin come around in 2000? It's, it's really interesting. I think it was the advent of how to create the currency because we had an electronic debit and credit system. We had 30,000 companies using our currency instead of the U.S. dollar. We had Starwood Hotels, Avis Rent-A-Car, Hard Rock Cafe. They all accepted our electronic currency, which was tied to the U.S. dollar in terms of a valuation, but it was completely backed by nothing other than our promise that it was worth something. And we had 30,000 companies. So I think we were just way ahead of our time. And how did you make money on that? You just took a cut? We took a percentage of every transaction fee, and then we also created the float. So we actually could issue more currency because we were the central country, essentially. Um, we could just issue more currency for ourselves. So we, you know, I bought Bose stereos and would give them away. And whatever we needed, bought, we bought office furniture, paid our employees with some of it. So because we actually were the country creating the currency, we could use that currency as well. Okay, so I want to obviously make this the most viable for like my audience. We talked about this kind of beforehand. You've worked with companies that have raised capital. You know, we, I obviously like companies that are making money versus how much they've raised. I mean, maybe tell me a story about a, a company you're currently working with that has a, you know, a great revenue growth rate. And maybe they've also raised capital and tell us how you helped them. Sure. A company called Blue Grace Logistics. Um, they're the entrepreneur of the year in the state of Florida, YPO member. He's the best company to work for in the state of Florida. I started coaching him just over four years ago, and I've coached uh, Bobby Harris and five of his executives for the four years. They've gone from a roughly $80 million in top-line revenue to about $250 million. They just raised $200 million plus from Warburg Pincus, and um, they're a very profitable, huge logistics company, but they're all about culture, and that's really where the core of my focus is, is obsessing about people first and then building out from there. And, and so, I mean, let's act like I'm one of the executives at the company and we're sitting down. I mean, is it like a monthly session? Like, what is the actual form factor of your coaching? How's it, what's it look like? Yeah, I do two 90-minute video calls with all my clients, and sometimes they'll cycle executives through, but I, sometimes I call them on their bullshit. Sometimes I hold a mirror up so they can see what's really happening. It's mostly mentoring because I've built high-growth companies and I've built strong cultures, and I understand that culture is not about the we room and the free lunch. It's about the alignment with core values, alignment with vision, getting rid of the bad employees. So I teach them how to actually put the right systems and processes in place to actually scale their companies. When you're talking to these executives, right, like what's the number one thing where like they see say words, but those words don't actually mean what's actually happening in the company and you have to correct it or help them with it. It's less of that and it's more that they wake up every day thinking this is the biggest thing I've ever done and I just don't know what I'm doing. Like they're, they're most executives kind of wake up going, shit, this is huge now. Um, it's, it's coaching them to that next level, especially when you're going through really rapid growth. Like when you go through 100% growth year after year, the company's four, four times bigger two years later, mm -hmm. and then it's 16 times bigger after that. Like it's just substantially different to manage that kind of growth. And why do you, I mean, I assume the clients you work with, you like the people, but you also like the businesses, otherwise you wouldn't do it. Uh, and, and obviously the best way to get a return in that capacity is to figure out how to get on the cap table. Like why get paid a, I assume it's a monthly retainer instead of trying to get equity. Yeah, there, I have a number of positions that I have equity in companies as well. So I've got um, probably eight or 10 currently, and I'm starting to move towards that a little bit more as well, where I have either a percentage of carry from the money they raise or some equity involved in the company, some profit sharing, but some way to actually focus on their growth and get you know alignment with what they're working on as well. And you've, it sounds like you, did you, I mean, are you almost like an investment banker in terms of helping these companies raise capital when they need it? Or do you just, you find other people to help with that when they're ready? Yeah, I've got a couple groups that work on the investment banking side. I'm closely aligned with a guy named Rob Follows in STS Capital, and we help a lot of companies exit as well. Mm -hmm. You know, I really work on the operations, execution, culture, meeting rhythms, and growth. A lot of the content from my first two books, Double Double and Meeting Suck, is really the core of what I will work with companies on. Why did you decide to write books? You know, people just tell me, Nathan, you write a book, you just lose a lot of money, you take up a lot of time, and it does nothing for you. 
Yeah, so I'm because I'm a paid speaker and I've done speaking events all over the world, the speakers bureaus that represent me wanted more content to give out. So that was reason number one. I'm also an advisor and an investor to Tucker Max with his new company, Book in a Box. So they were able to crank out my second book, Meeting Suck, for me in a brilliant format. Um, and third, I've got... Tell me more about that. How'd they do it? They do eight hours of interviews and they strip the content out of your head. So as a CEO, you can talk your story to them. They run it through a number of different processes through editing and it comes out as a full final hard copy, nicely bound, amazing book. My, my final printing cost is $1.44 a book and it took me eight hours to put it out. Because the interview, no, I mean, obviously, they, if that's a business they're running, what do you pay for something like that? 25,000 is their cost to pull a book out of your head and get it in print. So for most, you know, if you're a thought leader, you have to have a book. If you're a CEO, you should really have one, especially this day and age. But yeah, to be an author and make money off of a book is kind of short-sighted. And how do you, like, how do you make sure if you work with a company like what Tucker's building, how do you make sure they have, like, the domain expertise? Like, so it's almost like I've tried to hire writers for, like, my content, but they can't write deeply about B2B SaaS, no matter how much I tell them, because they don't understand how the whole thing works. How do you yeah. give them that subject knowledge? They're really good at actually taking the content out of our heads and us also supplying some in print format as well. So I had some copies of, of um, you know, chapters from my first book, Double Double, that covered meetings. I had a couple of speaking events that I'd done where I covered the content of meetings. So they took those in addition to my interviews and were able to pull it all together. They're more about the formatting of our thoughts and being able to ask enough questions to format and think about it in a really good way. They took meetings stuck to a whole other level for me because they identified that instead of a CEO buying, it they should be written so that every employee at every company has to read it yeah and how in such a way that it's strong that way now how many how many copies of meetings suck have you sold we're about fifty thousand right now in the first year okay and and you really did that it sounds like you targeted the employee who's probably frustrated with meetings and they wanted ammo to go to their boss with to say we should have less meetings read this book right well, it's targeting both. If you take your salary cost of all your employees this year, and let's say that one hour a day is what the average employee spends in meetings, 12% of your salaries for your entire year is potentially at waste. So 30% of the book is written for the leader of the meetings, 30% is written to participate and attend meetings, and 30% is to how the meetings need to run and what specific meetings you need to scale your company. And so it's really written for everyone. And was that your first book, or is this kind of the second or third in a series? That was my second. Not in a series, either. I wrote my first book, Double Double, six years ago now, um, and it's being used all over the world. In fact, I'm back at MIT this week with 65 CEOs from around the world, and they're all diving into it again. So you said one of the main reasons you, you decided to dedicate some of your time to doing this writing was because of you know speaking fees so what was your speaking fee before your first book and what did kind of a year after your book was published what were you able to increase it to because of it yeah it used to be 7500 and it's now 35,000 okay and is that I mean is that a direct correlation in other words should people thinking right now that already are doing like paid speaking gigs in that range think if I do a book and it does well I could probably increase mine to around 30 grand too some some in some sense yes I'm also really really good as a speaker I had the publisher of Forbes magazine say that I was the number one speaker he seen in 19 years, Rich Kroger, mm -hmm. and he said it on video. So mm -hmm. um, I just happen to be really good at it, but the book is just another way to get that content out. And because I'm really sharing experiences and sharing the, the actual systems to grow, that's what people are clamoring for. They don't want to be inspired. They actually need the shortcuts to grow their companies. Okay, let's talk about fundraising kind of, and kind of how you feel about that right now. I think this morning, I mean, the S&P or the Dow, I mean, it's above like a, what, 22,500, $22, something ridiculous. Like a lot of people would say there's a lot of froth right now. Is that good or bad for raising capital currently? 
uh, it's good if you're closing in the next couple months. <laughs> it could be bad if you're thinking long term. I think we're at the very, very peak of a market right now. And I'm, I've been coaching a lot of companies to just get back to profitability and get back to focus. And I led the leadership team meeting for Hootsuite two and a half years ago for Ryan Holmes and his team. And I really, really aggressively pushed them back towards profitability. So they did. Mm -hmm. I think you have to focus on growing your core business and raising. But there's nothing wrong with the old fashioned way of actually running a profitable company. Ryan, they just did the deal and kind of bought out espresso. Do you like that deal? I'm sorry? Uh, Ryan, they, they just made a big bet by acquiring Ad Espresso, who we've had on the show. Did you like that deal? Oh, I didn't look. I haven't seen it at all. Got it. So so you are you are these kind of short one to two month engagements you're having with these companies versus year and two year long commitments? It depends. Probably a third of my clients are two to four year engagements, about a third are one year and then a third are either on site for, you know, strategic planning or maybe four, you know, three to six months. And then is your main model, you said sometimes you're getting equity, but is it usually just a monthly retainer or is it project based or how do you bill? Yeah, my starting point is 80000 a year is my starting entry point with any of the clients. And then I have up from there, depending on the size. So I coach the second in command of Sprint. Mm -hmm. So they're paying double that. Um, and I just do one call a month with them. And what does what that, what is, I mean, what does that meeting sound like? A call with Sprint? Does it sound like, hey, you got to get your, you know, you got to get your CEO to be more like AT&T and have more crazy cooking videos on Facebook. I mean, what does that sound like? That's great. Yeah, Marcelo Clare and I are actually really close friends. The CEO, we met years ago when he was running Brightstar. Um, he wanted me to help turn Sprint into something a little bit more entrepreneurial and wanted me to work with Jamie Jones, his second in command at the time, to really take the longest, one of the longest standing executives at Sprint and make him more like an entrepreneur. So it's just nudging him in that direction all the time. And he's talking about, you know, all the cross matrix decision-making bullshit in the company politics. And I'm like, shut that, just like go right to the heart, talk to the people, get out in the field, talk to your customers. These numbers suck. And I'm just treating it like a small company. The beauty is I don't understand their industry and I don't need to because I understand the business of business. That's really what I focus on. So, like, you just you just say you don't care about. I'm making this up. You don't care about average screen time per session on a Sprint subscriber, but you know that they're losing money every month. So, exactly. and I can tell when I look at their employee NPS that it sucks, and nobody's getting treated well, and people don't like the job, or they don't like a city, or they're wasting all their money spending money on TV advertising instead of going digital. Mm -hmm. I get that intuitively, but mm -hmm. I don't need to understand how cell phones work or why the carriers work the way they do. It doesn't matter. That's mm -hmm. irrelevant. That's interesting. That's really yeah, interesting. Experts for that. Okay, got it. So, so they'll bring in maybe subject matter experts for that. You're more more focused on showing the PL, showing the balance sheet. Let's go from there. I'm, I'm everything related to operations, execution, culture, and growth. Everything okay. related to the people side of the business, the stuff that actually can't be automated right now. Let me shift to kind of how you're thinking about your personal wealth creation. So, your personal situation. You, you said you said you're married. You have four kids. Or how are they all under the age of what? They're 10, 12, 14, and 16. Oh, wow. Okay, so you're like in the thick of it. All right. So how do you think you're making money because you've had past successes? You have book royalties, obviously. You have these consulting gigs. You have some equity that might pay off in some of these companies. How do you think about uh, the, this? You know, the money you pull out of the company versus reinvesting? And if so, when you make personal investments into other things that are not coaching or, soft or uh, uh, kind of book related, where do you put your money to generate additional wealth? I'm, I'm actually part of a royal family. No, I'm kidding. Um, so, no, I, it, it's the standard stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm investing in real estate. I'm investing in my own business. I know that I have very, very profitable revenue streams. You know, I don't have any cost of any of my time or any of my products. So it's all pure profit. Mm -hmm. I, I do a consulting engagement. It's paid. It goes in the bank. It goes into real estate or it goes into investments. How are you finding right now good real estate deals? You know, it's very tough, right? Everything's overpriced. 
everything's very overpriced right now. So we're investing a little bit into our own, a little bit into some personal. We've got places in both Vancouver and Phoenix. Okay. And is the way, I mean, how do you, mon- let's, I'm making this up. Let's say in Phoenix, you buy a place for 2.5 million bucks because you couldn't find any other good investments for the money. What do you do with that? Like, do you, would you try an Airbnb and monetize that when you're not there or you just park your money there like in like a bank? Yeah, so we live on an estate in Scottsdale. We have a main house, we have two guest houses, and I have an office building that's on the property as well. So we kind of monetize it by able to, to write off an awful lot of those expenses just through the normal personal write-offs and through all the business write-offs. Um, so that's part of it. And I also do run it, run some business opportunities out of there as well. And, and depreciation, obviously, as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, interesting. Okay, so that's real estate. What about unsexy stuff? I mean, do you do anything like, you know, you know, weighted cost averaging into the S&P, you know, index or anything like that? No, I mean, there's, there's some pretty aggressive tax and investment opportunities, you know, captive insurance companies, conservation easements using the um, Augusta rule for tax write-offs. Or Wait, tell me what that is. I haven't heard of that. Which one? The yeah. Augusta rule. Yeah. So it's based on the homes on the Masters golf course in Augusta, where the homeowners would say, you know, we could rent our house out for two weeks during the Masters pre and post, and we should be able to take that money as um, tax-free. We shouldn't have to actually declare that. So you're allowed to write off a portion or accept a certain amount of income into your personal. Um, So what I do is my business rents the house from myself for the 60 nights a year that I'm allowed and I use it for business purposes and those business purposes are legitimate and you get a fairly about an 80 or $90,000 tax write off. And it's called the August or the Augusta rule. Augusta rule. Augusta rule. Augusta, Georgia, where the Masters Golf Tournament is. Many of you listening right now don't have time to listen to every B2B SaaS CEO that I've interviewed. If you want to get access to the database I've created with year-over-year growth rates, customer accounts, margins, and many, many other data metrics and data points, you can go to getlatka.com. Here's the thing, though. This that database, I keep it to myself. It's so freaking valuable. And to preserve the quality of the data and make sure that the people that have access to it have a true advantage, I'm only letting 10 companies on each month. So we're full this this month, but you can go to getlatka.com to get on the waiting list for next month. And look, there's big people on the waiting list. I mean, the biggest VCs you've ever heard of. You've probably heard of them. They're big, private equity, billions and billions under management. So it's an impressive waiting list. Go get on now at getlatka.com. Guys, big news. Last month was a huge month for the company I recently acquired, which was www.thetopinbox.com. I liked the company so much when I met the person who created it. It lets you send emails later on Gmail, set up reminders like snooze almost to keep your inbox clean, do things like send auto follow-ups and do open tracking so you know when your emails get opened. It's great if you're in sales or CEO or trying to be more productive. So listen, I bought the whole company on the spot and I wanna tell you how I did it. I've showed the deal, by the way, to big smart people, private equity firms, VCs, and they're dumbfounded. They go, Nathan, how did you do this? We've never seen a deal like this. How did you do this? So I did an unbelievable deal and I wanna show you the income report. So for me to send you the income report, go to www.thetopinbox.com, click the red button that says install this on Gmail, and when you do that, my email will appear. It'll appear in a little uh, Gmail pop-up window. Send me an email and I'll reply immediately with the income report, and you can see how I'm buying and growing small B2B SaaS companies. That's www.thetopinbox.com. Totally free to try and use, www.thetopinbox.com. Very interesting. All right, Cameron, let's wrap up here with the famous five. Number one, besides your own, what's your favorite business book? Favorite business book? Um, 
it's still got to be Jim Collins, good to great, but I wish he would actually teach people how to put everything in place versus just giving us the great sayings, but it's a spectacular book if you dig in. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying currently? CEO, I'm studying, well, I was really studying Travis Kelnick and all the stuff he was doing wrong. Um, just, just really horrible to watch because I've known Garrett Camp for nine years and, and to watch the missteps that he's made, I think we're just really, it was a travesty. He could have really course corrected quite quickly. Uh, number three, is there a favorite online tool you have, like HostGator? Yeah, mine's a really simple one, believe it or not. I have a daily accountability partner named Joe Polish, and we commit our daily goals to each other. And it's an app called Commit to Three, and it integrates to nothing, and it forces you to set your daily top three goals with another person, and it nags you all day to work on the critical few things. Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Probably nine. Oh, nine. Okay, that's pretty impressive. And so you have, and you're married with four kids. Huh? Eight or nine. Eight or nine. Eight or nine. And, yeah. and how old are you, Cameron? I'm 51. All right, last question. Take us back 31 years. What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew? My 21, uh, that everybody's insecure, everybody's nervous, and just suck it up and run with it because everybody's more worried about themselves than they are about me. <laughs> there you guys have it from Cameron Harold. Again, started off with his own company, sold his own virtual currency uh, company back in 2000. Now consults uh, some of the, you know, one of the big four wireless carriers. He just talked about Sprint and how they work together. Charges on average 80 grand per year. That's the starting price to do this kind of consulting related to kind of PL, balance sheet, high level stuff. Also, sometimes they'll take equity. Uh, and his companies uses obviously his companies to generate this well at high profitability margins then uses things like uh, the august rule and reinvest it in real estate and other outlets to continue driving additional capital and wealth cameron thank you so much for taking us to the top if you enjoyed Cameron today, go back and listen to Jack yesterday. He raised $5.3 million in his in ICO or, or his initial token offering on the Ethereum blockchain. His company helps you bet on future events. 